Well, friends, today we have a special treat. Our guest speaker is a friend of Access, Julia Prevalon. Uh, she is going to be continuing our series, Failing Forward, where we've been looking at the lives of different biblical characters and seeking to learn from their mistakes and failures. Uh, it's been a really rich series thus far, and I'm so excited to have Julia uh, speak a word to us today. For those of you who don't know her or are less familiar with who Jula is, um, here are some things you might want to know about who Jula is. Uh, she is an ordained minister through the uh, Evangelical Covenant Church, which is our denomination. Uh, she also is a uh, licensed professional counselor in private practice and the founder of Elevate Her International Ministries, where she travels the world teaching women about trauma and how to find healing from trauma. So Julia is a busy person doing some really significant work. She was born in Haiti, grew up in New Jersey, and lived in North Texas for many years, uh, and recently relocated back to Jersey uh, with her husband and three young adult sons. Uh, on any given day, you might find her reading, speaking, or preaching about the intersections of faith and trauma, racial justice, women's issues, and how the gospel libera liberates women and all of God's children to live a life on purpose. Judah, we are delighted that you would spend this Sunday with us and share what's, what God has laid on your heart. So may we receive uh, what God has to speak to us today with open uh, minds and hearts. Thank you, church. Thank you, Pastor John, for the invitation to preach the word of God on today. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm especially grateful for the gift of technology, um, which is able to make this possible. I bring you greetings from the East Coast on behalf of my family, our boys and my husband. Um, for those of you that know me, you've known me in Texas. I am no longer in Texas. My family and I relocated in December. We are now um, New Jerseyans. And so I miss you all so very much, but I'm also grateful that God was um, able to bring us back home. We are from New Jersey, and so we are near our families, and we are um, grateful, and we are in the thick of transition. So keep us in your prayers as you think of us. Thank you. Today, I will be preaching from several texts in Genesis to speak about a woman we know very well from the Bible, and that is Sarah. But today I'm going to ask us to look at Sarah from a different lens. I'm going to preach about Sarah who was an oppressed woman becoming an oppressor herself, whom God ended up using mightily and greatly for his name's sake. So let's um, get ready to hear the word of God and let me pray for us. Father, I give you thanks for you are the God of nations. You are the God over technology. You are the God that can bring um, stories to life to help us set us free, Lord God. I pray for our time together. I pray that the um, at the sound of my voice and the word that you have for us, Lord Jesus, that it will not only be words that we hear, but they will be words that penetrate our hearts, that um, give us freedom, that changes our walk with you. Father, speak to us today so that we can do your will. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I've been in church all my life. 
I've heard the story of Sarah and Abraham more than I can count. I was a Sunday school teacher and I used to teach about Sarah and Abraham. I've cheered for Sarah. She's inspired me in many ways. She's given me the strength to persevere through challenges. But studying deeper about Sarah has caused me to wonder, did I even know her at all? Sarah, with all of her layers, has caused me to pause this Sunday morning. Her life story has made me think of my three young adult sons. I have a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old twins. And over and over again, they remind me that I don't know or understand everything about them. They challenged me to not only hold on to the babies I knew them to be, but to embrace the adults they are becoming and that they have different choices, styles, and needs that I know nothing about. And they're right. So to really know them, I've had to enter their world without judgment in order to see and understand them. So today I'm asking you to use the same posture to learn about Sarah. I want you to enter her world so you can see this oppressed woman who ends up oppressing another and who God chose to use. I also want you to refrain from making easy conclusions when we see pain and trauma in her story. For example, saying things like, you know what, God caused this to happen because he wanted to make a great nation through her, which is true, but this, there's more to it than that. I want us to dig a little deeper. Pain might be in the text, but when we see pain, I want us to respond as humans with sadness, anger, perhaps confusion, leaving us with unanswered questions. You know, not all questions we have of God has an answer. Sometimes we just have to sit with those questions. And lastly, I want each of us to reflect on what Sarah's story is teaching us about ourselves and our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We are first introduced to Sarah in Genesis eleven twenty nine. It reads, the name of Abram's wife is Sarai. Then Genesis 12 opens up the, with the promise God made to Abraham. Remember that promise in your Sunday school classes? Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, verse three says, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Clearly, this promise is not just about Abraham. Sarah is the silent partner in this promise as well. You can't really become a great nation alone. And God knew this. And God already had a plan to make this plan a reality. And then we move down to in the chapter in verses 10 through 13. That reads, now there was a famine in the land. 
Listen, whenever there's a famine in a land, you know trouble is about to happen because hunger, poverty, all these things create challenges for God's people. It says, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but we'll let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Let me pause here and give some context. The culture we are reading of is a super patriarchal culture. Women did not have agency to make decisions of their own. A male counterpart like a father, brother, or husband had to speak on their behalf. So we have to assume that in this text, the culture of patriarchy is also true for this family. Nowhere in the text do we see Abraham communicating with Sarah about God's promise, which had a great deal to do with her. Some scholars even say that Sarah didn't find out about this promise until chapter 18, when she overhears Abraham's conversation with the three angels. Then is, that is when Sarah laughed. And according to this culture of patriarchy, we can't assume that Sarah had agency to say, honey, you know that little plan of yours for me to marry someone else and for them to take me as their wife? That's not a good one. Sarah did not have the agency or the voice to say to make to say such a thing. So Sarah was given over into marriage to Pharaoh by her husband Abraham for what? For favors. So that his life can be spared, so that he can get good things, right? My friends, this is a definition of a trafficked woman. The text doesn't tell us what happened to Sarah under this arrangement, but we can only assume what happens to a woman that has no voice, no agency in a system that does not regard her as worthy enough to make her own decisions of what happens to her body. This is the type of system where we see all kinds of abuse thrive. I want you all to pause and step into the fullness of Sarah's story for a minute. When was the last time you felt like you could not use your voice to speak into what happened to you or your body? Maybe as a child, or even maybe with your boss at a job that you have, you feel like you can't use your voice, or even maybe in a past relationship, do you remember that time? Do you remember how you felt? You see, whenever power is unequal, unbalanced, whenever they're silencing a voice, this is the perfect condition for abuse to thrive. I'm a licensed professional counselor by trade, and I've been practicing for over 15 years. And one of my specialties is trauma. Almost always when there's abuse, there's usually a lack of voice. There's usually a lack of agency. Power is usually unbalanced. Someone is being overpowered and someone is being taken advantage of. 
And I'm sorry if some of you in this audience this morning might be triggered by some of what you're hearing about Sarah's story. And if you are triggered, I want you to take care of yourself. I want you to consult with your therapist after we're done in the next week or two. I want you to check in with your spiritual director or even for, with your pastor for support or even um, referrals as to what to do to handle the trigger that you are having today. Part of what I do with my clients is to help them enter the healing process, to help them find their voice, their agency, to help them think about what freedom from oppressive systems look like. Because God wants so much more for us. God has so much more in store for us. He wants us to thrive and live abundant lives where we can go about his purpose for our lives. If healing does not happen, if the oppressive systems are not addressed, if awareness is not created, there's a high likelihood of repeating and perpetuating those same oppressive systems. And this is where we found Sarah, a woman called by God to be the mother of nations in a patriarchal system that leaves her no room for voice or agency to dictate the outcome of her life. How about you today? Are you caught in the social systems of our society? Perhaps you're on the losing end of societal systems like Sarah. Though you're called by God, the systems keep getting in the way of you becoming who God calls you to be. Or perhaps you're on the winning side of societal systems like Abraham. You cannot even begin to hear Sarah's voice or even strategize differently to bring God's purpose to fruition without using ungodly systems. As we look at Sarah's story today, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Who are you in this story? And what is God challenging you to do with your privilege or lack thereof? You know, we have a tendency to look at biblical figures as one dimensional people. But Sarah was a multi-dimensional person. And she challenges us today to live our lives in a way that is, that is worthy of our calling. We then move to Genesis 16, where we are introduced to yet another layer of Sarah's story and her challenges. And it is the story of infertility. And also a new character is, emerges in this story, and that is Hagar. This is also where we see Sarah, the oppressed, become the oppressor. Genesis 16 says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah his wife took Egypt, her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. 
And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to her, to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hand, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I hope by now you're already a little bit more inquisitive about the culture, the systems playing out in those times for Sarah, for Sarah and now Hagar. Again, there was a culture backdrop playing out behind the scenes that said having children, especially male sons, is the greatest honor for women. And to be barren and to be infertile meant all types of cultural shame for both women. And both women knew that, right? You know, when I used to read this text, like you, I used to think, well, since God called Abraham and Sarah to be the mother and father of nations, whatever they do, good or bad, it is to fulfill the covenant. I did not understand the culture of surrogacy, that what Sarah was asked to do, that what Sarah asked Abraham and Hagar to do, it was allowed. It was according to the law, to the rules and that this child would legally be Sarah's. You know, what's puzzled me about this text is the alleged rivalry that many interpreters said went on between these two women. Rivalry to me connotes conflict between equal parties. And this text and the interpretation of this text leads us to believe that Sarah was equal to, to, um, to Hagar, or Hagar was equal to Sarah. From what we've read so far, and from what we know so far, though Sarah was an oppressed woman, she was also a privileged woman because she was married to Abraham. And because of social hierarchies, that meant she had some privilege. privilege. Do y'all know what I mean by social hierarchies and the hierarchical system? They existed then and now, according to the social stratosphere in North America, in America, the US of A, right? White men are on top of our social system and black women are on the bottom. Now, I'm not talking about God's social system. I'm talking about um, the nation's social system and the, its hierarchy. And now I'm not talking about individuals either. I'm talking about the overall system because I already know someone's thinking, well, Oprah has more privilege than the cable guy. So how is that, you know, she's on the bottom. I'm talking about the system as a whole, how it functions. And Sarah had more privilege than Hagar. Hagar was her slave. Hagar was on the lowest end of the societal order. And here's what I don't get. I have questions for this text. Here's what I don't get. I don't understand the line that says Hagar despised her mistress because she became pregnant. 
And supposedly because of Hagar's attitude, Sarah had every right to abuse her to the point where Hagar had to run to save not only her life, but the life of her unborn son. When I used to read this text, I used to gloss over this text because I, I, I so desperately wanted Sarah to win. I so desperately wanted Sarah to be the hero. I didn't want to believe that Sarah had the capacity to oppress someone, to oppress someone physically and emotionally and blame her for the oppression that she, she doled on her. So I never gave too much attention to how she abused and oppressed Hagar because I wanted her to be the hero. I wanted her to win. And I want to pause right here again because I told you this, today's message has caused me to pause and ask many questions and I hope it does the same to you. I want to pause right here to set a couple things straight. Abuse is never okay. No matter how much you might say you were provoked, it's never okay. God is not okay with any forms of abuse. Even the ones his even the ones that's doled out by his chosen people. Even his chosen people is not okay to abuse and God is not okay with that. You can be a man or a woman called by God and still have the propensity to do evil. You can have a calling on your life and still sin. God can make you a promise to do a mighty work on your life and you behave according to the culture and not on the call and promise of God on your life. Multiple things can be true all at the same time. Again, sometimes we are just one dimensional people and these things can't go together. And what I'm telling you this morning in that is that these things can go to together. We can be people of the faith and still sin. We can still be people of the faith and don't get it right. What God is trying to do with us is to help us line ourselves to the gospel. God is trying to help us get on the right track. God is trying to take broken people and have them be healed. God is trying to help us get on this path of righteousness. So these things can be true. But are you willing to get on the, on the path of righteousness? Before I leave today, I want to leave you with some exhortation on how to respond when the people God called behave unjustly and oppress others. The first thing I would think and that we would do as people of faith is to call it out. Raise awareness of what is happening among us and call it out, challenge each other to do better. And the second thing is to hold them accountable. One of the issues I've seen when our spiritual leaders sin is that we don't know how to hold them accountable. Because again, we're thinking one dimensionally. We're not thinking multi-dimensionally. These are people, we should expect that the people of faith can fail. And when they fail for us to hold them accountable for us to call it out and hold them accountable. And the third thing is leave room for forgiveness. Now I say this 
You know, I don't want us to think that forgiveness is the first step. We need to deal with the wound. We need to deal with the crisis before we can even start talking about what does forgiveness like look like, especially with the victims. We need to reserve that conversation after we have called it out, after we have called, um, created accountability, after we have created safe spaces where mutuality, mutual conversations can happen, where the hierarchy is set on the same level of playing field, then we can be at a safe space to start looking at forgiveness. God did as he promised and made Sarah into um, a great nation made Sarah's descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And he did a mighty work in Sarah's life in spite of her failures and abuses. In Genesis 21 verse 11, it says, the Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would and did for Sarah what he promised. God also honored Hagar's wounds and trauma. He revealed himself to her. He allowed her to name him. In Genesis 16, 13, it reads, so Hagar named the Lord, the, the, the Lord God who spoke to her and said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, here I have seen one who sees me. God allowed her to name him. What a privilege he gave unto Hagar. We have been challenged by today's message. The culture in which we live can prescribe certain roles for us like it did for Sarah. Where we allow societal systems to perpetuate injustices right underneath our eyes like Abraham and Sarah. Where we allow the systems to blind us from living out the gospel who calls the least the greatest in his kingdom. The gospel who calls us to be about the cause of the prisoners and the foreigners and the widows and the poor. How will we use our privilege today? You may have approached living out your faith all wrong, but God is saying it's not too late for me to use you. It's not too late for God to turn things around for you. God is waiting to use you for a greater purpose. All he asks is that you do not hide behind your privilege. And for those who have been oppressed by the systems of our world, attempting to prevent you from living out the gospel, God is the God that sees you. God is the God that hears you. And God is saying, continue to find the strength and the hope and the faith to persevere to this through this life struggles. God is with you, my sisters and brothers. Let Sarah's story speak to us today. Let her challenge us. Let her do with her life what God intended, and that is to use her for, to make his name look great. Allow Sarah to teach us something today. Allow her to, to be used to change us today. I leave you today with these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you, my sisters and brothers. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance 
upon you and give you his peace. Go forth in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, my sisters and brothers. Julia, thank you so much for sharing that powerful word from the scriptures and from your heart. Friends, next Sunday, as we resume our weekly in-person gatherings, we're going to be kicking off a new series called Life in the In-Between. And it's a series where we'll grapple with things like change, loss, and hope. Because let's face it, we're sort of in this in-between phase, even though we're beginning to put the pandemic behind us, it's kind of still lingering. And there's just lots of question marks, lots of concerns that we're facing. And as we gather together again in this important time of our church life, we want to find uh, encouragement and spiritual guidance. Um, so I really hope you'll join us. I hope you'll invite a friend. Uh, and whether you tune in online or join us in person, uh, we really look forward to seeing you again. So um, as we wrap up this Sunday, let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope to see you soon.